You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Sue Inches, an advocate, author, and teacher who has worked in public policy for over 25 years. This podcast is supported by the Yamashalsky Foundation. When you're actually doing lobbying, it's the stories that the decision makers remember. So I've had many occasions where legislators have said that to me. They'll say, when I go to vote on an issue, it's the stories I remember. It's not the data. It's not the charts and graphs. Those are important, but it's the stories that they remember, and that's how they vote on these issues. So we're not just making this up. This is actually how advocacy works. Citizens often are overwhelmed, and advocacy is kind of a big word that people are intimidated about. And so a lot of what I do is I talk to people about how basic and simple advocacy really is, because what it's about is making relationships with decision makers. And one of the groups that I've worked with quite a bit is garden clubs in America. And their garden clubs are mostly women who have gotten together and they love to talk about gardening. And what I say to them is, you already have joined a group. You already know what it is to have relationships in your group. That's actually the key to advocacy. So basically what you need to do is go talk to decision makers in the same way. You're creating a relationship that is based on trust, based on respect, and then talking about what's important to you. So at its very basis, it's a simple thing that people often are a little bit scared of. But I always say, you know, especially to the garden club people, you know, you actually are very well qualified to go talk to your congressperson, which they do, about issues that you care about. It's about being your authentic self and telling your story to somebody who's in a position to make decisions about the environment. I talk a lot about bridging the left and the right. And one of the ways that people can do that is by talking about their experiences. So for example, here where I live, you might say to somebody, have you noticed that the ice melts from the lakes earlier than it used to? To say to somebody who is a hunter, fisherman, or maybe from a rural area, and maybe has conservative political views, you could say, well, yeah, but what about the ice out? You know, have you noticed that it's happening earlier? And why do you think that is? And that way you actually can get underneath all the politics and have the person talk about their experience. People are very active. They love to go out on the ice in the winter. And it's been many times too soft or too thin to go out on because of climate change. So people know that. And you can talk to them about that experience without becoming political about it. So that's a really good way to bridge the left and the right is just talk about what people's real experience is. There is a very strong anti-environment lobbying going on. And what they do is they create model legislation and they introduce it in all 50 states and in Congress. And this is something that is well-funded by big pharma, by the fossil fuel industry, by the Koch brothers. So there's a lot of anti-environment lobbying going on that is well-funded. That's why we need citizens to speak up because we need to balance that off to say, wait a minute, there's a different story here. These anti environment policies are harmful to citizens. And so we have to speak up and say that so that decision makers will know what the effect of these anti-environment policies are. And it's everywhere. It's at the national level, it's at the state level, and it's at the local level, as the pesticides example is. So that's why citizens really need to be awake and speaking up against and saying, we don't want that. We want our towns to be able to regulate what chemicals are put on people's lawns. So we don't want this organization coming in and trying to make state legislation that would prohibit it. Basically, I believe that everyone has a human heart within them. Even the most hard-hearted corporate CEOs have a heart in them. And the question is, how do you reach that heart? 
stories are used in advocacy in two ways. One is just to motivate a person and keep them grounded because sometimes advocacy work takes a lot of time and you have to stick with it. So it helps you stick with it. But the other way is when you're actually personally influenced by a policy. So stories can be used indirectly as motivation, but also directly on a policy issue. One of the tough things is not everybody is listening, right? And so, you know, we can do our best to tell our stories, but there are times when people are just not listening. And in those cases, sometimes a wake-up call is needed. And that's when I start talking about direct action. So direct action is when a group of people decide to do something to bring attention to an issue, right? They're trying to bring the media to an issue to say, this is important. So that's a bit different than the advocacy where you're trying to actually have a personal relationship with a decision maker or a group of decision makers and tell them your story face-to-face. So those are just two different ways of working towards change that work together. Sometimes, you know, you just can't get through. And when you can't get through, that's when direct action is really needed. Our culture and the way that we carry out capitalism is that we have allowed businesses to create a mess. And then the taxpayers are the ones that very often pay to clean it up. And to me, that is actually not right. We actually need to change that. Corporations need to be held accountable for the environmental harm that they cause. And that way, it's not going to be left to us. Now, unfortunately, I will say this, that corporations feel, in a sense, they're caught in a system as well. So basically, the way that we carry out capitalism now is that profit is above everything, including people's health. That doesn't seem right, but here we are with these corporations that feel that if they don't maximize profit, they could be sued by their shareholders because their shareholders are basically holding them accountable for profit only. So what do we do about that? Well, there are a number of strategies going on out there. One of them that's worked quite well in Europe and is just starting to emerge in America is to basically require that corporations report on their environmental impact. So right alongside with their financial report would be environmental risk and environmental impact reporting. Well, if we can get that going in a bigger way and a more inclusive way that includes companies at all levels, we would have taken a really big step in the right direction. We are seeing the Security and Exchange Commission here in this country is working on rules that would require corporations, at least publicly held corporations, to report on their climate risk. And the reason that rule is being worked on, I find fascinating because it's investors that have demanded that. They're saying, well, if we're going to invest in a corporation, we need to know what our risks are. So therefore, corporations need to report on their climate risk. So I'm excited about that as a positive development and hope that the SEC will be able to follow through and create those rules. So we have quite a ways to go in corporate accountability. And I think that's one of the biggest problems we're facing. So what for you is the link between mental health and nature? Oh, what a great question. Well, I live in Maine, which is a rural state. And for those who haven't been here, it's full of lakes. It's the most forested state in the U.S., actually, and has a beautiful coastline as well. So if you like to be outdoors, Maine is a great place to be. And I spend a huge amount of time outdoors because I love it. It's just so beautiful and it it just restores my spirit. So to me, that's the connection is just being outdoors really brings energy to my life and it brings energy to my work. And I think for a lot of people, this is true, that nature is 
kind of the place where they can regenerate their energy. And if people haven't experienced that, I encourage them to try it because nature can be very restorative. One of the questions I often ask audiences is how many calls or emails do you think it takes to move a legislator or decision maker on an issue? And in a small state like Maine, it's, the answer is five. It only takes five emails or calls to raise attention and move somebody on an issue. In a larger state, it might be 10, but that's still not very many, right? 10 people. So people are actually much more powerful than they think they are. Many people just don't speak up. They think about it, but then they think, oh, I don't know enough about this issue. Well, it's not really about what you know, it's about what you feel, right? So if you have an emotional connection to a certain area, like you love to go camping or you have a vacation home, if you have a connection to an area, then absolutely you should speak up. So having said all that, the power of the individual being as strong as it is, I also like to encourage people to create or join groups. I mean, even if you just have five people who all feel the same way you do, get together, have a conversation, say, let's do a testimony together and go to this hearing. In fact, it, it gives you confidence. If you have five people who you've sort of sat down with on an afternoon and said, let's do something about this issue. We have terrible toxic pollution in our town. Let's go and talk to the town council about that. So just getting together with other people really, really builds power and energy. So I always encourage people, individuals are strong, but community groups and small groups are stronger. So to create or join a group can be really important. I had a student, she's a college student. She said, well, do you think I should bother to testify on a certain bill? And I said, absolutely. I said, you represent the future. Students have more power than they realize because they represent the future and that decision makers actually listen to them. So that's what I would say is to encourage young people. And the other thing too, is that young people will often have adult allies who can support them. So here in Maine, we have a group called the, the Maine Youth Action, and they're high school students who go and lobby on issues that they care about. And it's really interesting because some legislators really listen to them right off the bat. And then there are others who kind of ignore them. And when that happens, the main youth have learned to call in their allies, like a person like me. And if I'm in the room and I'm actually working with the students and treating them as their points of view are really important, then the decision makers will come around and they will start treating them that way too. So it's like these youth have learned how to stand up on their own. And some of them are really articulate. And then they also know that there are times when, gee, I need to bring in my adult allies to help me out on this. That's the other thing is to make friends with some adults who can be helpful mentors and allies. And it's actually, for me as an adult ally, it's fun to help out the youth. And they are just great as they are learning how to speak up for themselves. It's very empowering when they do that. For youth who feel overwhelmed and, you know, this is awful, what we're doing to the environment, which it is awful. But as soon as they can take some action, whether that's locally or at the state level or whatever it is, they start feeling better. Even if they do something simple, like cleaning up a street, let's say, having something positive to feel good about. Well, we cleaned up that street. Hey, maybe next year we could clean up the whole town. It really builds on itself. That's what I would say is pick something that seems doable at first and then build from there. And so that's often a really good way for youth to get involved. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.